Well, the question we might ask is how might uh, our context, our landscape in the United States, how might we be similar to people in Athens? Uh, Are we people that are searching, are still interested in religion, uh, but we are searching for something that we feel like might be there, but is unknown. Well, if you look at research that's been done on religion in America by the Pew Research Institute, we're told that uh, on any given Sunday, about 36 out of every 100, about 36% in other words, of people say that they attend religious services of some sort weekly. About 33% say, well, maybe not weekly, but at least once a month or so. And, uh, and about 30% say, not really, never, don't go. As to belief in God, about 63% of us are absolutely certain of God's existence. Uh, About 20%, we're fairly certain that there's a a God, a creator. About 6% of us, uh, not certain at all, and about 9% uh, would say, that's not something I'm concerned about. There is no God. As far as our attitude toward religion... About 53% of us say it's very important to us. It defines who we are, how we live, and kind of the decisions that we make. 24% somewhat. And 22% not really. It's not important. 55% of us pray daily. Another 21% at least take time to do that weekly or monthly. And 23% say, not really, not at all. Don't believe there's anybody uh, that's going to answer, even if I do pray. 42% uh, of folks polls say that the, uh, the faith that they express today, the faith that they practice, uh, the church that they attend, uh, the synagogue, whatever, uh, is not the same one they grew up with. It's not the same denomination. So we'll do a little quick survey ourselves. How many of you were born and raised and, and, uh, as disciples still in, in the Christian church? Okay, their quick count looks like about four of you. They can say that you are still in the, the faith or the religion in which you were raised, the denomination in which you were raised. The rest of us, uh, came to this by a, a different path, some other, other way that we got here. 30% of young people, uh, folks that we term now as millennials, basically uh, folks that are in their 20s to early 30s, 30% of those folks would say they really have no religious commitment at all. It's just not something that 
is important to them. So while we may not be uh, picture perfect in terms of comparison to Athens, the Athens that, that Rome or that Paul lectured in, uh, we have a lot of folks in our country that are searching, and some that, quite frankly, may have given up or haven't seen the point in searching to begin with. Well, in some ways, at least, that was the audience that Paul was speaking to. People who were interested in ideas, people who were interested, people who were searching and were at least willing to listen to ideas. You know, one of the great obstacles today in the church, for the church, is the church itself. Uh, Bishop Stephen Neal, some years ago, said the greatest evidence for the truth of Christianity is the fact that the message has overcome the messenger, has overcome the church. Because our message is sometimes... uh, distorted in such a way that it becomes difficult for other people to find anything worthwhile in the church. You think about the different kinds of positions that the church takes on today's issues, on immigration, on race, on gender, and the list goes on and on and on. And you can hear widely differing views on those issues. And I wonder if in our willingness to express our opinion on different issues, we forget the one thing that we should all be in agreement with. The God of grace revealed to us the unknown God to many people, The God of grace revealed to us in Christ Jesus. And the fact that we, the church, can make that God known to other people by our witness, by our testimony, by the way we love, by the way we act. We might disagree on things, and certainly we do. But the one thing we should be in agreement with is the common confession of faith that we have in Christ. And in our disagreement and in our dialogue with each other, even though we may discover even even deeper differences, if you will, or disagreements, there should come deeper understanding and deeper respect because we're trying to speak from the perspective of faith. We're trying to speak from who we understand God to be uh, in Jesus Christ. That's our commitment. And that should bond us beyond anything else to each other. So that the message, the expression of the church about God's love is clear. That God reveals forgiveness, grace. God, as we have seen in the life of Jesus, respects people, loves people who are different loves people who we want to cast aside and don't want to have anything to do with. So if you're making that distinction, if those kinds of distinctions, and you're casting folks aside, 
then you're not reading the God that's revealed in Scripture through the life of Jesus Christ. John, in his first letter to the church, says it very clearly. Don't say you love God. The God you haven't seen, other than what's revealed in Christ. Don't say you love God if you can't love each other. Just don't say it. The love of God's not in you. Because God is love. So, to the Athenians, to the searchers, to the church today, to the world today, uh, God is still speaking in Paul's words. Uh, Know the God. Uh, Perhaps a God that's unknown to you. But the God that is revealed in Christ Jesus. And so Paul begins his, his discussion, his argument, by saying then these words. Uh, the God that's unknown, he's the creator, speaking from what's called natural theology. He's the creator of everything. And you're created in God's image. So if you're created in God's image, how can God possibly be gold or silver or stone? You're created in God's image. You're God's revelation in creation. If you're God's offspring, if you're God's children, then you should want to know more of who this God is. God the parent, God the father, God the mother. You should make an effort to to find out to know the unknowable, the unknown God. And then Paul goes on to, to uh, then kind of uh, put the hammer down, if you will. There's God the creator. Somebody created all this. There's God who created you. So God can't possibly be, if you're in God's image, God can't possibly be uh, in a shrine, in a temple, in a statue... And this God who's been revealed to us appointed God the Son, appointed a man, someone to reveal God's righteousness to us, Jesus. And this Jesus was raised from the dead. And as soon as he says that, he loses most of his audience. We get to the, to the, big, the big finish for Paul here. The moment of resurrection... God has revealed this is how you can come to know the unknown God through this man, through this person who was raised from the dead. And and what we might be expecting as we're reading the the Billy Graham moment where hundreds come pouring out of the stands down to, to make their confession of faith, that's not what happens to Paul at all. Uh, most of the people wander off. Some of them say, okay. That's an interesting idea. We'll come back and hear you again tomorrow. Same time, same channel. We'll be here. See what you have to say. And then it says, and a few believed and followed. And I think it says, it's convicting. And what it says, 
about the church and how we view success versus faithfulness. So, there's a story about a, a farm that was created, a communal farm in South Georgia, around America's Georgia in the 1950s. A place called Koinia Farm. It was created or brought into being by a man named Clarence Jordan, Reverend Clarence Jordan, Baptist minister. And here's what Jordan saw in the 1950s and how he was convicted by the church, uh, by what the church wasn't doing. Because he could see the church was not bringing people together and talking about how we're all God's children. The church, particularly in the South, oftentimes was talking about how we needed to stay separate but equal. Jordan said, we're going to show them something different. So, Koinia Farms came into being. place where, and it was primarily for low-income, impoverished blacks and whites. And on that farm, the people who came to live there worked hard at farming, producing things for the community. They lived together, black and white people lived together. They drank out of the same water fountains. They went to the same bathrooms. They ate together at the same table. They dipped in the cup together. They shared their food. That's 1950s South, South Georgia. And I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. In the 1950s, I can remember distinctly, about eight years old, going to uh, see my dad at work. My dad worked for an Allstate insurance company, and so I guess at the start of his career, he was in a, a booth. You may remember when they had Allstate insurance uh, booths in Sears stores. So I went to see my dad. Mom took me. I got thirsty. I wandered around the corner you know, to get a drink of water. I went up to a water fountain and started to, uh, to drink some water. And somebody I didn't even know grabbed me by the arm and jerked me away from that water fountain. And said, son, you can't drink out of that water fountain. And I'm thinking, I'm thirsty. Why can't I drink out of this water fountain? And he points to a sign. And and at eight years old, uh, I had a little trouble reading that, that sign, but I knew enough to know it. Uh, based on what he said, colored. He said, you don't drink out of that fountain, you drink out of this one. It said white. That was what Koinia, that Koinia farm, 1950s in South Georgia, that's the kind of attitude, and even worse than that, that those folks in that place faced. They were harassed continually by the Klan. Uh, Multiple acts of violence that were perpetrated against this community. And they kind of, they hung on, they hung on. Until one one particular evening, one particular night, it it became particularly violent, especially violent. And houses were destroyed, they were set on fire. 
Crops were set on fire. The place was, was pretty much uh, devastated. Uh, the paper in America's Georgia had already written editorials condemning Koinia Farms. So the next morning, a reporter from the paper comes and says, wants to interview Clarence Jordan. And Jordan comes out to... Uh, to do the interview, and the reporter starts off, well, Mr. Jordan, how, what do you think of your social experiment now? Black and white people living together, and, and, and look at this mess that you've got, and, and uh, the devastation that's occurred. Are you going to give up on this? Are you going to quit this? Uh, it obviously is not going to work. It's just not going to happen. People aren't going to accept it. You really think this was a success, this effort. And Jordan lowered his head a bit and then looked up at the reporter and he said, "Uh, Sir, you don't understand us Christians. We're not about being successful. We're about being faithful. Now, the reason that we're here today is because the early church didn't have any notion of the ABCs. Attendance, how much is your attendance? What's your budget? Do you have enough money? And are you taking care of the church or building? What they had a notion of was being faithful. And they trusted God with whatever the success was going to be. We know what happened in the early church. It grew. It grew into a a movement today of almost 2 billion people through faithfulness. Clarence Clarence Jordan, they continued. They hung on at Koinia Farms. Oh, 20 or so years later, a man showed up with his family. He'd given up everything he had, successful uh, businessman, successful contractor, building contract, gave, gave all of it up and just said, this isn't working for me anymore. Uh, I'm, I've heard of this place. I'm going to Koinia Farms. I read the Cotton Patch Gospel. Clarence Jordan wrote that. Wanted to see what it was all about. He moved his family down there. I happened to know something of what that uh, trauma that created for the guy's family because uh, his son, uh, Nancy and I went to school, seminary with, with uh, Clarence, uh, with uh, the man's son. Son's name was Chris Fuller. His dad's name was Millard Fuller. And some of you know Millard Fuller's name. He's the man that founded Habitat for Humanity. He said, you know what? People deserve a decent place to live. He learned that at this place that was deemed by others a failure in the 1950s. 20 years later, it birthed a a movement that's still going today. God calls us to be faithful, to trust God with the results of that faithfulness. The world needs that light. The world needs to know what our message is about Jesus Christ, who loves everybody, all people. 
who makes no distinctions, who doesn't uh, try to uh, say that we should be divided because of political differences, who doesn't hold up to us the idea that some of us are children of God and some of us aren't, or some of us are better children of God than others are. No, the message that God has given to us through Jesus Christ is that we're all God's children. And the desire and hope that God has for us that we will all be faithful in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for that which we know through Jesus Christ. That you have made known to us. God, help us to live what we know. God, help us to be faithful to what we know. God, help us to share that faith. So, Lord, that which you have have given and that, that which we have received, Lord, that that may be the message of grace and hope that we can give to others, that others can come to know you as the God of love, the God of forgiveness, the God of continuing grace. All these things that you have made known through our Lord, our Savior, Jesus. Amen.